The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Thank you for once again tuning into the Sports Ethos Nets podcast. We are recording at a different time than usual. It's Friday morning around 9 a.m. in Eastern Time Zone. Once again, this is your host, Cody Mallory. You can find me on Twitter at RealCodyMallory. Um, so right now I am only joined by Anthony Dittmar. That's at Anthony Dittmar underscore on Twitter. Hopefully Joe will be joining us at some point in the episode, he just has something going on right now due to the change in time that we're recording. Um, but how's it going, Anthony? How are you doing today? Enjoyed some uh, New Jersey uh, bas- college basketball yesterday for those of you guys from the New Jersey area. Yeah, it must have been great to be at that uh, Rutgers game, huh? <laughs> I know. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to work the game and miss it. And they beat the number one team in the country. But Seton Hall also beat number seven, Texas. And then the two Jersey teams are actually playing each other Sunday night. So I'm sure a lot of New Jersey fans, New Jersey Nets fans, are probably either a fan of Rutgers or Seton Hall. I met one to them. So good day for New Jersey hoops overall for a state that no longer has a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a UConn fan, obviously. I'm from Connecticut. That's my alumni. But still root for Jersey hoops because of the Nets. So, um, so the, our records for – let's start with our records. There's been two games since we started picking. I am sadly 0-2. I don't really want to talk about it too much. <laughs> you had the record and, right. You just had it reversed. Yeah, right. I got the 1-1 one one right. I just picked the games wrong, so that kind of sucks. But it happens. Um, you and Joe were both 1-1. One one. So, yeah, right. we both had the uh, win. win, yeah. I mean – this, the Rockets game, like, that was a tough one to pick. No one expected Kevin Durant and Marcus Aldridge to sit. Um, but we'll get more into the Nets games from this week since we last talked. But before we do that, Anthony, you want to go quickly around the league? The league? Um, there's been some COVID problems in the league. I think we're going to address that. Yeah, so um, we saw Rick Carlisle, the coach Indiana Pacers, now has COVID. He'll be out for uh, however long it takes him to test negative. We saw the Raptors president, Masai Ujiri, test positive for COVID-19. The entire Chicago Bulls seem like they have COVID. Um, I don't. I think they have potentially tonight. I think they're playing. They might be able to, like, sign an emergency player to, like, fill out their roster. Because <laughs> I know Derek Jones Jr. has it. DeMar DeRozan has it. Caruso's out with the injury, so it's not like he has COVID, but um, Javante Green, Kobe White. Yeah, so they're getting hammered hard with their COVID issues. Um, yep. Austin Rivers, the Denver Nuggets, has is out with COVID. Non-COVID news, um, Clay Thompson has been scrimmaging all week at five on fives, and they're saying he could be making his debut before Christmas. There are actually rumors that he might actually debut on Christmas. It would be kind of crazy because they're playing against That'd be awesome. So that'd be kind of electric. I, I, whenever he gets plays his first game, I know we're all nuts fans here, but you have to root for a guy like Clay Thompson, who's missed two straight seasons with an Achilles and ACL injury. 
because he's going to be a feel for the guy. So whatever that game is, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be tuned in. So we haven't seen him play since June 2019. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, other injuries, nothing really that much notable. Uh, like, there's been a lot of COVID issues, like, over a bunch of teams. I know the Grizzlies got hit hard with it. I'm pretty sure uh, John Morant tested positive, too, but he's also injured, so it kind of really didn't make a difference because I think the injury is going to keep him out longer than the COVID will. Brooke Lopez remains out for the Bucs. He underwent back surgery. He's out indefinitely. We already talked about Bam's injury. And other than that, yeah, just like kind of minor injuries around the league. Well, COVID-19 is definitely ramping up in with the new uh, Omicron variant coming around this country. And we were talking about this earlier. It's mostly in the markets that don't have the vaccine mandate. So the ones that do have it are New York, Golden State, and L.A. We haven't really seen any issues COVID-related. Keep our fingers crossed in terms of... Besides like, the LeBron situation, but yeah. <laughs> well, it was a false positive, so I'm not going to count that. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not been anything crazy. We saw last year, like, the Nets kind of hit hard for a bit, but it wasn't – it was before, like the, like, the vaccine was massively available. So, I don't know, maybe Kyrie Irving <laughs> could get that vaccine for the uh, plant vaccine. They could start playing games. But, yeah, yeah, aside from that. Yeah, it's crazy because, like we said, I think on the last episode, the Nets just played the Bulls on Saturday before they had this outbreak. And I mean, we're what six days past, and no Nets players have tested positive, so we should be in the clear. I don't want to jinx it, but when you see another team just like go rampant like this with COVID positive cases, it makes you worry about teams that they recently played against. And the Bulls, their own locker room. Specifically, um, they played last Saturday, so uh, we talked about last right. episode. Like it could affect the Nets throughout this week in terms of like like maybe like Wednesday, Thursday. I don't want to say we're in the clear yet, but I think we're towards right. the last nine yards. So hopefully. Right. Should be getting there. Um, so the other day I tweeted out asking people who follow me on Twitter, kind of what basketball player made them fall in love with the game. It got close to 80 responses, which I was pretty surprised about because I mean, that's just a lot of interaction in general, let alone it wasn't really like a Nets related question that I tweeted out. So I just wanted to quickly dive into it. Um, I mentioned in the tweet, I think I mentioned in the podcast before that Jason Kidd was really the player for me. I just loved how he played. He was never like the super most athletic, but he just affected the game in so many aspects. Um, And he made a kid kids believe that they could do it kind of like what Steph Curry's doing in a different aspect where it's like Steph Curry's not this 6'8 250 jacked guy that dunks on everyone he does it with skill so that's kind of like what my Jason Kidd was with Steph Curry obviously not to the extreme of making seven million threes in a game but just still affecting the game in various aspects besides pure athleticism and just being a beast um, so, Anthony, before I go into some of the Twitter responses, I just kind of wanted to hear who, you, who your player is. I honestly don't know, so I'm pretty excited to hear it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, there's the first player. I went and I uh, give you a little scene here. It's 2007. I was probably, like, 10 years old. Didn't really watch basketball, really. Like, I kind of was just getting into it. Still a little young to kind of, like, be a diehard for sports. You know, you're still, like, in elementary school, whatever. You're more preoccupied with that. But I go to Nets game to play the Warriors – um, it was before Steph Curry, as all those guys were there. It was like Baron Davis and like I think David Lee and stuff. But yep. they were playing them in the Nets. Uh, Vince Carter, Vince Carter was the guy. I got a Vince Carter jersey. I saw him at the, his jersey inside the team store, and he had a game-winning three. I'm pretty sure to seal the game. And ever since then, just like I fell in love. I still have my Vince Carter New Jersey Nets jersey. It does not fit me sadly, but it's a nice little. <laughs> It's, like the, it's one of those fire New Jersey Nets purple ones that I really like. 
they were like one of their alternates, I believe, for a little bit, but they were really nice. And he kind of just the way he played basketball, I loved watching him. Like, I didn't watch him in Toronto, but like watching some of his highlights there and like in New Jersey too, when he still had his athleticism. Cause a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people now know him as like that veteran guy that switched teams every year. But before that, he was really one of the Nets catalysts over the course of the mid 2000s. He wasn't a part of those finals teams because he kind of came after that. But he definitely like gave Nets fans hope for those those couple of years where like they were consistently a contender in the playoffs. So I love this game. I love watching him dunk, and she was just a great player. I loved watching him. Yeah, I was so excited when he came over from the Raptors. The trade to Orlando <laughs> killed me though. I think we traded him for yeah. uh, Ray for Alston. That's who it was. I was so mad because I think we we're just like cutting yeah. cutting money to be honest because we we're being cheap. That trade yeah, broke that was my heart. <laughs> so most of the responses on Twitter. Um, I'm not going to read each individual one because, like I said, there's over 80, and I just don't want to take that kind of time. But um, as mainly Nets fans follow me, there was a lot of Vince Carter, obviously. Jason Kidd was thrown in there. Um, A lot of the younger kids are saying James Harden, which is no surprise. He kind of revolutionized basketball himself with that step back and getting to the foul line. Um, There's a lot of Dr. J, which is for the older crowd, obviously. Kobe Bryant, the great Kobe Bryant. Um, there's a couple like thrown in there, like it was Paul Pierce. I saw. Um, what was the weirdest one you saw? The weirdest one I saw. That's tough. Most of them are like generic, like big name yeah. players. I'm scrolling through it right now to see if I can find someone. Um, <laughs> I responded. Scotty, you'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say that. Um, some of the rare ones I saw, I would say, is I think there's only one person that said Scotty Pippen, which that is weird. <laughs> there's a there's a person that said Manu Ginobili. That's a that's a weird. That's a cool one though. Maybe he was from Argentina or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I do have a lot of European followers, so that wouldn't surprise me. There was a couple of Tracy McGrady's, um, Alonzo Mourning. That's kind of a strange one. That is a weird one, yeah. I know it's not the question at hand, but who do you think who's your favorite Brooklyn Nets player of all time? Like not including Jersey, I'm just curious. Um, it's it's not it's not even a hard question for me. It's Joe Johnson, 100. <laughs> percent I gotta follow you on that. It's definitely Joe Johnson for me too. Not to copy you, but I love I loved all the clutch ISO Joe moments. Bro, there was that one season where I swear he hit a buzzer beater like every other game. <laughs> oh, another four or five. I'm pretty sure he has like one yeah. of all time. Like I'm not even kidding. Like he's yeah. definitely up there, like all time list. It was just that I just loved it. And I don't know. I just love this game. I love how he, like, like I said, I'm not a big fan of the mainly athletic players that aren't skilled. I like to see more of like the skilled kind of players. Like, don't get me wrong, Joe Johnson was big and he was jacked out of his mind and strong, but he also was like a little bit of a finesse player too. I don't know. I like how he could mix it up, kind of like KD can, whether it's in the post or whether it's off the dribble, catch and shoot. He could do a little bit of everything. So. And then, like I said, the, the clutch shots were just amazing, and I'll never forget them. So <laughs> it was wild because when we got Darren Williams and like, we were moving to the Brooklyn, I remember the Nets kind of wanted to have like a one two combo. And this is before the, the year right. before they got Pierce and Garnett. They kind of made that splash trade at Atlanta in the offseason. I remember it was at my grandma's house and I saw the trade. I'm like, holy shit, we gave up like half our roster for him. And I knew Joe Johnson was a player, <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, we just gutted our entire roster. But I remember they marketed the hell of that Brooklyn's backcourt. And I never got a yep. couple of to that. And that, honestly, he ended up being the better player than Darren Williams. No one really expected that. So he's supposed to be the Robin. He was, like, the more consistent and the better player, like, the course of his Brooklyn tenure. And it was sad when we had a rebuild and let him go. I think it was the year after we got the eighth seed and lost to Atlanta. 
in the first round. Nope. I think kind of like cut tires on like that that little window we had. I'm gonna be honest. I thought the Nets were gonna beat Atlanta in that series. I know they were the eight seed, but I didn't think Atlanta was that good. I think they lost at I mean, six. Just kind of yeah, it went to six. Yeah, they lost four two. I'm pretty sure they but, tied it two two at one point, and it was kind of like <clears throat> yeah, and then they lost a bunch of close games. Yeah, that was tough, but I don't want to go back that way. <laughs> I don't want to have those bad <laughs> memories. <laughs> Look forward. <laughs> yeah, just like the KD at toe on the line memory is like fresh, but those uh, that's the early worst days, one, <laughs> those early days in Brooklyn memories, they still get me. They still haunt me. Yep. Even that series against the Heat, I think they lost in five, but every game was close, and they blew it down the stretch to LeBron and Wade. And Remember Rosh, the Marissa Slavich game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they I could not be that game. It was Mirza, it was Allen Anderson, Darren Williams hit a few, Pierce hit a few. I'm pretty sure. No, who was the uh, was not CJ Wall. Uh, they had Livingston. I don't think he had a three. There was someone else that made a clutch three, too. It was a great, great game. <laughs> Remember the Bulls series when Nate Robinson went off for 700 points when D Rose is out? Triple yeah. overtime. I remember. I was so yeah. mad. Yeah. I was because CJ Watson went to go dunk it on a fast break. I'm like, my guy, just lay it up. You're not a dunk. <laughs> <laughs> would have yeah. won us the game. Yeah. Would iced it. Yeah. So uh, let's forget all that. Let's get all yeah. that out of my brain again. I've been trying over the years, but um, so let's kind of jump right into the games that the Nets played since we last talked. So to start was the Mavericks game. I was fresh the day off, uh, day after of the COVID booster shot, so I was feeling pretty down. I did record the game and I rewatched it after the second half. Um, so I saw most of the first half live. Once again, it was kind of it's kind of getting repetitive. Just what the Nets do. They come out slow. <laughs> they don't really play a whole lot of defense early. And they go down by a big amount. And then they decide to challenge themselves and mount the comeback, which they successfully did against the Mavericks. Obviously, Kevin Durant was Kevin Durant in the fourth quarter. He was amazing. Um, James Harden was one of his most efficient games, I would say. He shot seven of 13. He hit three of six from threes. Um, he almost had – he didn't have triple double right now. He was one rebound short, but he yeah, had he 23, 12, and nine. So it was it was one of Harden's better games of the season, in my opinion. I know he only took 13 shots, but he was fairly efficient. He only had five turnovers, which <laughs> you don't want to say only with five, but that's the amount of time he has the ball in his hands if he can keep it to like four or five turnovers i'm fine with it because he's dribbling the ball a lot so like we understand um big takeaway for me was the second half defense they held the mavericks to 37 points in the entire half um obviously only allowing 13 in the fourth which allowed the nets to win and the biggest reason for that was the return of none other than nicholas claxton um, he was he was amazing on defense. Switching, he frustrated the hell out of Luca in the second half. But Luca shoved him in the chest, got teed up. So like, Cliff Claxton's back. He's either got to play, or but he could be a trade piece. But we'll get into that later with some of the Twitter questions. Yeah, <laughs> but what was your big takeaways on the game? On that Mavericks game, like once again, like you said, the slow start really infuriating. I feel like they just can't keep doing that if they want to win games. Like, we, like a lot of times, it doesn't work. Like, it's like we get it close, but we don't hold on. It's, you don't, you don't want to put yourself in a hole like that. But when you have Kevin Durant, it works out. We saw the Nets obviously <laughs> ended up in the fourth. 
I think my biggest takeaway was definitely Claxton's switching ability. Like he was able to guard like Luka Doncic, like the team's best player. He did. He doesn't only just guard bigs. He guards like any almost anybody on the court. Honestly, he's just so versatile. And it's such a Swiss Army knife for the Nets. It's kind. Of, I don't want to say it's like Ben Simmons on defense, but it kind of like it is when you can just like switch onto any defender. But like if you have that in your bag, like that game against Phoenix that we lost when they kept switching Aldridge on Booker, I said we win that game because there was like four straight possessions where Aldridge just got blown by because he couldn't right. stick with Devin Booker. If you have Clax in there, he could test a few of those. That's like a six, eight point to eight point swing. That's really big. He had Luka to zero field goals, like you said. So I like that a lot. Um, James Johnson also really stuck out to me in that game. He had like a like a Draymond Green type of role, like kind of doing all the dirty work, but he's also like picking and choosing his spots and like scoring here and there. So that was pretty cool to see if they can use him in that kind of role throughout the season. I think I prefer that. Um, obviously, when you have a shorter bench, you can't really like take and choose those battles. But on, against the Mavericks, it was nice. Um, yeah, Harden probably has the most efficient game too, seven of thirteen in the field, which you really don't say too often. And yeah, they looked good. I, I didn't like you. I saw you tweeted. I didn't like they didn't foul at the last possession. I get in the initial shot, they really didn't have a good attempt. With like four seconds left, I say you foul and you're up three. They got lucky. Hardaway bricked it, but he had a wide open three. Like. Like keep beating Durant in the pump fake, and that goes in. It's a whole different conversation. Like, why didn't Nash right. foul? Why didn't we do this? So, in those situations, we usually do foul. We didn't that time, so it kind of like annoyed me. But we won, so it's kind of like whatever. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you if you thought they should have fouled because, like you said, I tweeted it out. Uh, the initial shot, like there was, they shot it early, so like they didn't really have the chance to do it. But then there was dribbling at the top of the key, passing back and forth. I think it was between Luca and Porzingis. They couldn't get a shot off. They pass it out to Tim Hardaway on the corner, on the way right side. KD closed out super hard, like super hard, which he's like 10 feet tall. I don't know if that was so necessary. Hardaway did a little side dribble, and he got a wide open three. Luckily, he clanked it. <laughs> but there was several opportunities from the foul up three where I – the first thing I thought was, like, I was screaming at my TV, foul, 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 and I was watching it the next morning. So, like, it was the first thing I saw. But nonetheless, the Nets escaped with the win. So at the end of the day, that's all we really care about. <laughs> Anything else you want to touch on in that game? Um, it was one of the worst historic shooting nights, actually, for a team from three. I think the Mavs were like 946 or something like that. So it was like up there with that Rockets game against the Warriors in the conference oh, finals. Geez. I so, didn't yeah. notice that until you just said that. Yeah, they shot 19% from three on 46 attempts. Yeah, so that's a you don't involve games like that. Right. So when I was watching it, I was thinking like, wow, the, Mad the Nets are getting lucky because the Mavs are getting a lot of wide open threes. And I didn't realize how poorly they shot on <laughs> yeah. uh, what felt like watching the game, not live time, but afterwards, it felt like they were a majority of like open threes that they were just missing. And it wasn't really great defense until that fourth quarter. Yeah. They got lucky. Honestly, it was fortunate when you take your wins, you can get them. But Right. Um, so, yeah, that led into Wednesday night against the red-hot Houston Rockets. I think they had won seven in a row. Um, so, obviously, with no Kevin Durant and no Marcus Aldridge, the game was very different than what it would have been if those two played. Without those two, without Kyrie, without Joe Harris, you're realistically down four starters. Um, and then throw into that, it's a back-to-back. So players like James Harden, Nicholas Claxton played a decent minute load against the Mavericks. James Johnson played a good amount of minutes against the Mavericks. Um, the Mets were tired. They shot very poorly. They were 35 of 89. They shot 39%. They just, they fell down 
big early and they didn't have the firepower to get back into it really they did i think they cut it to like i don't remember off the top of my head i don't know if you do anything i think it was like three or four in the fourth quarter and from that i'm just checking um, yeah and then james harden missed a step back and then the step back three and then there was a couple turnovers by james harden that were pretty careless um, that was frustrating to watch. I mean, he shot four of 16. He had eight turnovers, so it definitely wasn't his best game. But after I was thinking about it, I was pretty harsh on him on Twitter, per usual. But there was no floor spacing. He was getting blitzed and double teamed, and no one else on his team could shoot. I mean, Patty Mills has started to struggle a little bit from three. He shot, I think he was two of eight. Yeah, he was two of eight against the Mavericks. And then he was three of nine against the Rockets. I mean, he hit a timely three against the Mavs, but he's been struggling to shoot. And without Joe Harris, they don't really have any other like knockdown shooters from three on catch and shoot. So it was very hard for Harden. Um, I mean, the Rockets are missing players too, but ultimately they got the job done. And like I have in my notes, there's not a whole lot I want to talk about in this game because there was no Kevin Durant, there's no Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, the only thing that really stuck out to me is, like, another inefficient game from Harden. Like, we note, keep noting, he doesn't really have good back-to-back games. I say it's, like, one every three games, if we're going to be honest, that he has, like, a really good game, which is definitely not a rate that the Nets can afford. Um, he shot four or six teams from the field, and he had, like you said, all his turnovers. Like, the one where he just, like, let it roll down the court, and it just got stolen by that guy. I forget his name. Uh, I forget, I can't remember <laughs> But he was – Garrison Matthews, he just was all over the court. Like, that guy – it was just stupid. It was an ugly game. I tweeted the other day, I think the Nets definitely need another, like, floor spacer. When you don't have Patty Mills out there, it's really just not a lot of shooting. Even when you have Durant's, like, you need guys to space the court. When you run out of a Bembry, James Johnson, Nick Claxton, and <laughs> Bruce Brown lineup, you're not really getting a lot of shooting threats. They kind of can just pick and choose the double teams, and you're not really going to have any – Right good offense so yeah it's definitely it's i mean, becoming a problem you need to sign like a flashy guy like i said jj reddick or pick up J- tyler johnson off the street like they can that you know t- like these guys can at least just shoot the ball i haven't played 15 minutes like you know what i mean like what are we doing here yeah it, it was an ugly game nothing really to talk about very bizarre the rockets went from 1 and 18 to a seven game winning streak i feel like i, I know that's the first time it's ever happened but it's just such it's such a weird <laughs> thing. It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, why? And it's like they're missing like their best players too. Jalen Green. I mean, Christian Wood's Chris, benched. <laughs> Chris, yeah, yeah, Christian Wood's probably their best player. But besides that, they're missing uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Obviously, John Wall. So Great it's just, it, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's strange that they've done it, but hey, credit to them, they've done it. <laughs> the Nets, I said, the Nets have their second best player has been like 60% of himself, and that's being kind of modest. Their third and fourth best right. players were out, like like a good stretch. And their best player and their fifth best player weren't playing. So it's really like, you want to steal a game against a team like the Rockets, you think it's like an easy win. I think that was like the team's mindset, like resting KD and Aldridge there. You saw them do it against Orlando once. Like you try to just take your wins when you steal one. Didn't work out that time. They gotta finish finish out the trip strong. Though. We can't. I think they gotta they gotta take both games. Yeah. Yeah, they're one one on the week. Gotta gotta take them both to remain positive. The goal is to win more games and lose every week. If you do that, you're gonna be all right in the NBA. <laughs> exactly. Nine and three on the road is nothing too shit, nothing to be ashamed about. 
No, that's impressive. Definitely. Like you said, especially given all the circumstances that have been going on, that's impressive. <laughs> and uh, a majority of it is just Kevin Durant is like, he's Kevin Durant. I honestly think this could be a bold statement that I'm about to make. <laughs> if you put Kevin Durant on the Detroit Pistons, I believe they are a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. That, that see that they take a lot of work. They could get in the play in maybe. That's my, that's what I would say. Play in, play in yeah, okay. But yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> I, play, see, I, I think it would be clear to play in. Let's watch them Sunday together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the one thing I also want to say too is David Duke looks really good. Like he might be a good rotation player, like over Jeff on Carter. Yes. I yeah. just wish his his jump shot looked uh, kind of ugly. Yeah, David Duke. Yeah, yeah, he had good cutting ability. But once again, that falls into like the role of like what Bruce Brown does, what DeAndre Bembry does, kind of what <laughs> everyone else does on the teams. Not make a wide open jump shot. <laughs> It'd be funny. Like, like if I, I'm just picturing Pembry, Bruce Brown, and David Duke, like coming from like three different sides of the court, like left, right, and middle, and they're all coming in for like a floater at the same time. Oh, cut to the basket! Yeah, throwing Javon Carter out there with his <laughs> dribbling nonsense, turning the ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's not dive too much into the negatives. <laughs> yeah, let's be positive. It's a positive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, injuries, there's really nothing has changed. I mean, obviously, Durant and Aldridge were out last game, but it was strictly due to rest, no injury at all. Um, obviously, Joe Harris. The best news is every time we do another episode, we are closer to seeing Joe Harris back on the basketball court. Yeah. Um, and my main takeaway from injuries was that Nicholas Claxton appears to be in at least somewhat decent shape where he could be a big time con- contributor for the Nets. Yeah. Because, um, like you said, he, he took a while to come back from that illness, non COVID related. But if he could come back, that'd be a big boost at the center position for the Nets. 100%. Yeah, he definitely could be one of the most Nets important players on this stretch, whether it be boosting trade value, if he said, or just being like their best defender. Because I'm honestly cool with just letting him be like our Swiss Army knife in defense. If you're going up against Giannis, you're going up against like a Luka or just someone like, 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 that, like, can beat you on every level of defense. And you can have him like be out there to like be able to switch to any defender. Because when you have Aldridge out there, like, yes, he's great on offense, but it's a big negative on defense and teams are going to attack him. Like, I know it's a different position, but, like, if you ever watch the Miami Heat play, like, teams will specifically attack Duncan Robinson to the point where the Heat can't put him in closing lineups because it's just right. too much of a negative because they'll just attack, switch on him every single time. Yeah, that's kind of been Aldridge's role. Even if you look at the Mavericks game, he played – he started – he played 23 minutes. He had 15 points, but he was a minus four because of the defensive viability part. You got to play – I guess he's – yeah, he's good to start out there, kind of, especially because the Nets can't seem to score in the first quarter. <laughs> so he's good to start with that. But then as it gets to like closing time, especially if you're trailing, which the Nets seem to be trailing a lot going into the second half and fourth quarter, you got to put a player out there that can get you stops. Because if you don't get the stops, it doesn't matter how many points you score, you're not going to come back from the deficit, especially when it's or the Nets down against the Mavericks. Is it 17? 17, yeah. Yeah, so you're not going to come back from that deficit if you're not getting any stops. So that's kind of the problem with Aldridge is he just doesn't have that foot speed anymore, especially with the Nets scheme when they switch everything. And he's getting ISOed by elite, elite, elite NBA talent guards at the top of the key. Um, yeah, so. so what I want to spend the rest of the episode on 
for the most part is I tweeted out this morning about asking some Nets related questions that we would discuss and answer. Luckily for Joe, he's going to miss out on this first one. So I'm going to kind of throw you on the spot, Anthony. <laughs> I don't know if you read any of the questions. I personally did not until right now. I like skipped no. them. But I think there's eight or nine. We're going to quickly go through some of them. Some of them are kind of repetitive. Um, so first question, they kind of go hand in hand. We got one from Tom Steadman 7 and Durant735. Um, so Tom Steadman says, is Joe Harris coming back enough when healthy or do we need to try to make some new some moves? And Durant735 said, some wing shooters you would like the Nets to look for. So this kind of goes into what we were talking about with the Nets not having the people to space the floor, especially when they were without Durant and Aldridge. Um, so I guess my take is Joe Harris coming back enough. They'll always have at least one spot up shooter on the floor with Joe Harris and Patty Mills. Obviously, it leaves zero room for in- injury. So it would definitely be nice to be able to add another shooter, um, which kind of goes into Durant 735's question. Um, when I first heard that, I immediately thought the Indiana Pacers, who pretty much said they want to tank. Um, so a name that came to mind for me was Jeremy Lamb, who is on an expiring contract. The only problem is the Nets don't really have a whole lot to trade. Um, I know you threw out the name of J.J. Redick. He's retired. It would be nice if he came back. But I think he's loving the podcasting business. So I don't know. It would be tough. But are there any names that come to mind to you? Or do you even think the Nets need to add any more shooters with Harris coming back? Um, I think with Harris coming back, he's still using another shooter. Because last year we had Landry Shaman and we had a couple other guys like Tyler Johnson that were able to like space it out. Like, yeah, the defense wasn't as great last year, but I think you need, like, a little half to medium here. If it's not on the free agency market, like I said about Reddick and um, what's it called, Tyler Johnson, um, yeah. I'd be cool with, like, acquiring, like, a 3 and D wing, like a Terrence Ross from the Magic. Don't really know what his price tag would be. Probably a little expensive. I know we mentioned Goran Dragic before with the Raptors getting DNP'd. He'd be an interesting target if he's bought out um, to try to get him here to, like, get more shooters in the court. Um, other than that, the problem is it's tough right now looking at the trade aspect because a lot of teams are in it. Like uh, right. the conference, it's like 13 out of 15 teams have a realistic chance in the West. It's probably like four or five teams don't really have a shot realistically, but that's not really a lot of teams to pick from, especially when all those teams are like actively tanking. I wonder if the Kings decide to blow it up, maybe get some spare parts from them. Like, you know, the Pacers, obviously that we mentioned, I'm not sure a whole lot of teams will be selling until like the very end, like if they're on the cusp of making the playing game, which was honestly the idea of the NBA having a playing game. So other than Drogic and Ross, I guess you have to see if some teams fall off because I really can't think of anybody else that might be like available because shooting scarce, maybe New Orleans, if they blow it up, if like right. they decide to rebuild. But yeah, that, those are my two guys, Terrence Ross and Gordon Drogic. Yeah, I agree. Those would be definitely big additions. Um, kind of to go along with the trading piece at Game Tech Studios, tweeted at me simply trades and then underscore six underscore Burrow um, asked if, if Cam Thomas is the only tra- is the only trading piece on the Nets that other teams would be interested in. Um, so yes, other teams would definitely be interested in Cam Thomas, but I think Nicholas Claxton, if the Nets decide to move on, feeling they have enough at the bigs position with Aldridge. James Johnson, um, 
Millsap, and then if Blake Griffin starts playing better, I think Claxton is a name that they could move. He's on an expiring contract. Um, who else do you think they could move? They don't really have any first-round picks ever because of the Harden trade. Um, Second-rounders, I guess. But what do you think they could trade? Well, they've earned five second-rounders to get DeAndre to get DeAndre Jordan off this team. That's um, true. <laughs> They can't trade their first because of the rule they made because of the Nets. They can't trade alternate. Like, you can't trade back-to-back consecutive drafts, first-round picks. And they did, like, eight years of, like, swap and trade with first-rounders of Houston. So, really, it's just Claxton and Cam Thomas in terms of, like, what a non-contender would want. Because, like, yeah, there's guys, like, like, like obviously, anybody, any contender would want Patty Mills or, like, a Bruce Brown. But when you're trading with these teams, they're teams that are not actively trying to win. They want, like, pieces for the future. So, with that in mind, it's really just Nick Claxton. And he said Cam Thomas. I don't think the Nets are really that keen on training Cam Thomas because that the purpose of drafting him was to kind of get like a cheap guy off the bench because when you have three guys of max contracts, you need your bargains and you can get them. So really, I think the only realistic one to get moved is Claxton because I don't think they're going to pay him this offseason. They mentioned with Jared Allen, they just were never going to do it. They don't see the value in paying a center. They kind of have their next project in De'Aaron Sharp they drafted this year. We'll see if he pans out. But yeah, really just Claxton, which I don't know how much that really gets you, considering he hasn't played a whole lot of the games over the course of his three-year career. Like if he pulls, puts together like a good month or two, maybe he can boost him to like a serviceable level where he can get someone maybe. But teams have to keep in mind, they don't have to give him the contract too. So, yeah. Right. I don't know. I just yeah, Claxton, maybe, I guess. Maybe Bruce Brown, honestly, because like we said before, that role is kind of repetitive with the emergence of DeAndre Bembry. Um, especially if David Duke turns out to be solid, then who knows? Maybe Bruce Brown. I think he, he's on an expiring deal, though, right? He is. He's had a one-year deal, I think. So yeah. he, he had a lot so, of years to take a discount, but I don't think the Nets are, right. are in the business of giving him a long-term deal. Yeah, so probably a tanking team is not going to really want a player on an expiring contract, when he, especially Bruce Brown. It's not going to want to play for a tanking team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll go – we got two more. Um, there's a couple about Steve Nash uh, to know Michael. I don't know about – or Michelle. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, the concern about Nash's ability to make this team better. And then O'Neal underscore B-K-L-Y-N said, do the Nets need a new head coach? <laughs> So I'm laughing, as you can hear, because I think the Steve Nash hate is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. I think he's doing a good job, and we have seen improvements in various aspects of his coaching ability, whether it's calling timeouts now, um, letting his guys play more to get the wins. I know last season was a little different because Durant was coming off the injury, and even Harden or Kyrie, they all had, like, nagging injuries that kept popping up, whether it was ankles or hamstrings. So last season a little different. But I don't think Steve Nash is the problem. I believe if you take away several starters from a team, they're going to struggle, and the Nets are still first in the East. So Yeah, I think like, people were saying, like, oh, Nash versus Atkinson. I think Atkinson was the coach – like, it was a good coach for, like, where the Nets were, and they were kind of, like – like emerging. And I think Steve Nash is the perfect coach to manage these superstars. And I feel like he's actually done a pretty good job. Like I've had a lot of times with in like last year, like Nash was hesitant to like make the move that he has made. Like there was the Jared Allen versus DeAndre Jordan debate, like Jared Allen should be starting. Like, what the heck are we doing? And then there was a couple of things where he didn't do, but like this year he's, he's bench Blake Griffin. 
he's done a couple other things where he's like mixed and matched rotation where like he sees and fit. And I feel like a lot of the decisions he's made have panned out. He's had limited resources the last few games. You can't really get on and play a Rockets game. Like, who is he going to play? Like, like, yeah. like, no. like yeah. is he going to bring like, Michael Jordan off the bench? Come on. <laughs> there was nothing to, there was not a lot to work with. People were getting on him. Like, I saw someone tweet at me, like, the coach is the problem. I'm like, do like there's like a seven, like seven guys that are legitimately like deserves to play, and you have to play some other guys to get guys rest. It's just how it is. Right. Yeah. So let's so thank you everyone that submitted a Twitter question. It was literally within like a 20 minute period. So I'm happy that we got eight or nine of them. Um, like I said, some were repetitive, some we already talked about. But going forward, we definitely want to do this at the end of every episode. Before we finish, let's just very quickly preview who the Nets have the rest of this week. So tonight they play against the Atlanta Hawks, who are seven and three in their last ten. They're playing good basketball. Um, they haven't actually played a game since Monday, so they are definitely very well rested coming into the game tonight, and they are expected to get Cam Reddish back. Um, RIP to TLC. That means he'll be sliding out of the starting lineup and lose his revenge game tonight. But he's actually been playing pretty decent in the starting lineup. Um, I don't want to say that, but he has been since he was inserted. And then obviously they lost Solomon Hill with the hamstring tear. They haven't had DeAndre Hunter or Bogdanovich, but they still have a very good roster. Um, so out of the two games, that's definitely the tougher game to win. I think we would both agree on Anthony. <laughs> and I don't think Detroit's really given us nightmares, even though last year they did, yeah. they did cook us. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that game's a good game tonight. Um, for our predictions, I predicted a, a win. Um, Joe is the only one to predict a loss tonight. And then against Detroit, obviously Detroit has been – the worst team in the league. They're four and twenty. They've lost ten games in a row. I feel bad for the city of Detroit. <laughs> they used to be an NBA powerhouse, obviously, but they've just been bad, like very bad recently. Um, but once again, you can't ever count out an opponent, and you never know what can happen in an NBA game. A team could shoot lights out from, with from three and beat you, because obviously, at the end of the day, they're all professional basketball players. Anything you want to highlight or talk about with either of those two games? Um, yeah, like you said, Atlanta's definitely the harder game. Got to contain Trey Young. I know he's tough to, to defend. He's having a great year. Everyone's talking about like the foul shooting thing where he's in that like struggle. And yeah, Harden struggles with that. But Trey Young's honestly had one of his best years of his career. He has the most points scored in the league. He's not first in points per game. He's actually scored the most points. He's been great all around. He's a. I think he's a top twenty player. I think it's even getting closer to top fifteen. Personally, I think he's right. an astounding point guard. Um, I, the Hawks are definitely gonna be tough to play. They hopefully the Nets get off to a strong start for once. It'd be cool to be like winning a basketball game in the first half. That'd be kind of cool. I'd like that. And then not having to dig ourselves out, it'd be really fun too. And then the Detroit game is honestly, if we lose that game, if you think Nets Twitter was bad after that Rockets game, oh boy, you don't want to go on Twitter and Sunday if they lose to oh, the tanking boy. Pistons. <laughs> I will personally not be partaking in any Twitter activity if they lose that game. Well, the loss of the Rockets and the Pistons in the same week would be brutal. <laughs> that would be uh, but, very bad. <laughs> but all jokes aside, I'm very interested in the Nets of the game with Atlanta tonight very quickly because of Trey Young. Obviously, the Nets switch everything, and I'm expecting Atlanta to really attack Lamarcus Aldridge in pick and roll, get him switched on to Trey Young, and then let Trey Young absolutely cook him. So it's interesting to see how long Steve Nash will let that go before he counters with Plaxton or James Johnson at the five. 
I but, personally would start. I wouldn't start Aldridge. That I'd match Aldridge with the second unit minutes, so you don't get beat by those Trey Young switches. Because I could just picture right now Trey Young blowing right past Marcus Aldridge to the rim. Oh yeah, yeah. So that I would be interesting. Blake, to see. Blake, if like you wanted, it's kind of weird to play Blake a little bit. He looked kind of decent in that Mavericks game. I mean that Rockets game. Yeah. Yeah. So those two games will close the week out. Um, thank you everyone for listening to the Sports Ethos Nets podcast. This is your host Cody Mallory. Um, once again, I was only joined by Anthony Dittmar today, as Joe had a prior commitment and he was unable to join, but he should be back with us on our next episode. As always, please subscribe, like, comment, tweet at us. We love answering and interacting with the fans of the Nets. And let's go Nets! Nets and four. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.